Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to, well, we actually named this thing unofficially last week. Uh, Conversations led to it being official. This is Damn You Hollywood. I'm Robert Winfrey, and with me as always is Mark Radlich. Mark, how you doing? Hello, sir. I'm doing well. Uh, That's good. I got on my bike today. I I got on a mountain bike, and it's, it's, little kids are fun because everything is a game with them. And today, uh, my I taught my son how to play chicken. <laughs> That's just wrong. Little, uh, it was a little. Well, I lost every round because I wasn't going to full full on plow into my son on my bike. But uh, he thought it was a gas. And and what would happen is, um, he was on his little. Uh, what what is the thing called again? The little police car that we got on? Oh, the um, the wiggle bike. Oh, yeah, his, his wiggle his wiggle car, which is like a skateboard with uh, a couple of wheels on it, and you're the way you're supposed to do it is you uh, move the steering wheel back and forth, and the thing will move. Um, but uh, he likes to just move it with his feet, and so he's on his little police car thing, and I'm on my bike, and I just rode around him in, in our on our cul-de-sac in a bit of a circle for like a half an hour to get my workout in. And every time I would come near him, I would aim for him and he would go, ah, he's going to crash. And I would quick get out of the way. <laughs> so we were playing chicken. That's all. So I got my workout in today, playing chicken with my son. All right. Uh, for those of you listening live, I'd like to just briefly note, normally we do this show on Tuesday. Uh, the date's a little bit fluid, but thanks for sticking with us. Mark just had much better things to do yesterday so we bumped it to wednesday yes because if you're not if you're not yet full of my my personal stories yesterday was my wife and i's seventh uh wedding anniversary monday was our anniversary sorry monday well it counts only for yesterday because that's when we start to watch (laughs) october 3rd 
was our seventh wedding anniversary, and we celebrated it by going to see our favorite band, Clutch. Is that a one-sided thing, or does she genuinely enjoy Clutch? I now genuinely enjoy Clutch. Now. You liked them the first time I brought you to them. Um... She's like Clutch since I've been bringing her, and we've been going. We've been, this is at least the third time we've done this. We went on our mini honeymoon. We went last year for our anniversary, and then we've gone this year. I'm trying to convince Clutch to come to Florida every October 3rd-ish, uh, either the St. Pete, Tampa, or Orlando area, so that we can make this a yearly tradition. All right. Well, I, uh, you know, if we get famous enough, they might take that into consideration. Yeah, maybe. Alrighty. Uh, for those of you who might be new to the show, need a brief rundown. Here on Damn You Hollywood, Mark Radlich and I get together and review movies generally. Tomorrow on a special edition, we'll be reviewing uh, the Marvel Netflix television series Luke Cage. Uh, but normally it is feature-length animation films, and tonight we are reviewing Deepwater Horizon, the disaster biopic about the explosion and subsequent oil spill on the, the deep water horizon off the, in the Gulf of Mexico uh, three, four years ago. I forget exactly when. And Mark, before we get into this, I need to apologize to you publicly here. Within this setting, I'm the one who kind of said that, you know, we got this space of time to fill on the schedule. Here's deep water horizon. Why don't we throw that in there for a review? Well, Had I known Peter Berg was directing, I would not have brought it up. Well, well, let's let's give all the details here. I was going to see it anyway. I like a good disaster flick. Uh, I like a nice biopic. So a biopic of a disaster, that's right up my alley. So I was going no matter what. Um, it, I happened to mention it to you that I was going. and And then you did say, well, if you're going... I'm curious about it as well. I'm going to go see it with my dad. My dad has some practical experience with this sort of thing. Uh, let's see how close to real it is. And I said, okay, well, let's make a show of that. So, you know, this, it wasn't all your fault. I had a hand in this as well. Still apologizing. Are you going on one of your, it doesn't work that way, rants? Because if you no. do, I might go for a run. No, no, no. I'm not going to – very little of that. I actually had, actually didn't get the chance to see this with my dad, who uh, has at various points in his life worked on oil rigs. Uh, none over – none out in uh, – none seaward, but a couple of landlocked ones. And uh, just the timing didn't quite work out for us to get together to go see that. But no, this is not about – this doesn't work that way. This is more about, well, there's 90 minutes of my life I'll never get back. <laughs> you and I have such vastly different experiences with film. I came home a boohoo crying mess. I, I had to I had to go to the bathroom to get myself under control. That I was weeping so hard. Meanwhile, you're you know you're contemplating shooting yourself in the kneecap to feel something else other than pain. Well, I'll just feel something at all, but my well, personal neuroses aside. Personal neuroses aside. All right, so let's get to it. The people have now heard way too many of my personal stories. I'm sure they'd like to hear a movie review of sorts. 
I don't know. I'm not sure. We need to get a, num- a numerical analysis going about how many people actually care for our reviews of movies or if they just tune in because you and I shoot the breeze so well. Uh, all right. The This is a ensemble cast, but generally focuses on Mark Wahlberg, whose southern accent ranges from uh, borderline acceptable to non-existent. <laughs> Uh, I, I'm sorry. Look, Mark Wahlberg is a generally acceptable actor. I, I I've only enjoyed him in one role, but his his accent work is just not very good unless it's his natural accent, which is you know Boston strong. Anyway, we primarily follow his character, Mike Williams, uh, as he and Andrea Fletas and Jimmy Harrell, played by Gina Rodriguez and Kurt Russell, respectively, head out on April 20th to the Deepwater Horizon, a semi-submersible offshore drilling rig that punches holes, seals them up for the follow-up crews that are actually going to remove said oil. Uh, they, they basically float around the Gulf of Mexico, punching holes into uh, you know, petroleum wells. And then they move on so that someone else can come and actually extract said material. Uh, We are very quickly given to understand that this operation is uh, in need of some assistance. Most things on the rig do not work properly. There's some friction. We see the rig itself is actually rented, uh, you know, subcontracted out by the British Petroleum Group, uh, referred to as BP. In this particular film, represented by the great John Malkovich. And they're behind schedule because they can't get this well to be stable enough for them to actually like seal it up and move on. There's problems upon problems. They're 43 days behind schedule and it's costing, you know, these things cost money. You have people, you have material. You know, BP may be a multi-billion-dollar company, but there's a lot of even if you know, even with multi-billion-dollar co- corporations, things have to run smoothly, and it, because a lot of them are built, you know, similar to a house of cards. There's a reason that you know, Lehman Brothers used to be a multi-billion-dollar banking industry, and then somebody, you know, things just didn't quite go right. The whole thing fell apart. Now they're a used to be. So they're. <laughs> Boy, kind of... that's mildly. <laughs> All right. Uh, so there is that friction. Uh, and, you know, as per the Hollywoodization of stories such as this, uh, you know, the guy played by Kurt Russell, known as Mr. Jimmy, uh, it's Jimmy Harrell is the real person's name. He's uncomfortable with how things are being run. BP, because they're the evil corporate tycoon representatives, they don't care about no worker safety or proper procedure. We want money, and we want it yesterday. Actually, we want it a month and a half ago, but we want it. And uh, how dare you keep us from our profits with your silly concerns. For safety. Uh, among other things. So uh, the point here is they're very concerned about the stability of the well after they have breached and are preparing to seal it up so that they can 
move on so it will be safe for them to move on for the next group to come in. And as you can imagine, it goes rather poorly. They try to do a couple of tests, uh, specifically negative pressure tests, to make sure that this thing will stabilize once we have secured it. There's some more argument about the validity of said test, so they run it again. They get another goofy result. Uh, they decide to go ahead with it anyway. Oh, and... no. Well, hang on. That's not totally sure. accurate. What ends up happening is John, the John Malkovich VP uh, executive character basically gives, and I'm not in any kind of a way a scientist, so I don't know if I'm if this is the best way to say this, but a cockamamie excuse for why they got the result that they got and says, and do it anyway. It's, this not, is it, it's not cockamamie, especially given the lack of other evidence. I mean, one of the things they talk about is when you have reverse pressure like that, material is forced to back up the drill pipe. Uh, and you see it right before everything actually goes to hell, you know, the mud and what stuff seeping up through it. That's what you'd normally see on a failed negative pressure <laughs> test. So despite the fact that they, had some issues with pressure the first time around. There were no other symptoms that would lead you to believe there's a problem here. So, you know, it's one of those things uh, you know, in the medical field. Well, you've got a headache, but no neck pain, so you probably don't have meningitis. <laughs> type of scenario. Now, in this, it now because we're now granted that's a very loose analogy, and just work with me here a little bit, guys. Uh, and in this instance, again, they so they run a second test to circumvent a bladder effect, which is an area of localized pressure right around where the sensors are. Uh, again, it's still a little wonky, but generally good, so they give it a try, and yeah, no. The back pressure builds up, and for those of you who don't know what a blowout is, when the pressure within the well that you're drilling into exceeds... Uh, shoots backwards up the pipe. That's what a blowout is. This is what happens. You see all those, uh, you know, old time, you know, like old, uh, like pseudo Westerns where they're drilling for oil and you suddenly get oil shooting up out of the ground in a big fountain. That's what a blowout is. It's terrible. That's one of the first things my dad told me when uh, I forget what movie it was I saw, but that happened. And he said, yeah, that's not a good thing. Because, you know, everyone uses it like, oh, we struck oil. No, that's a bad thing. Uh, and this is why. If, you, if, you don't, if you're unsure why this is a bad thing, this is why. Uh, it might have been Armageddon, actually, was the first time he kind of explained that process to me. Uh, and again, in, uh, when we saw There Will Be Blood, because a similar thing happens, and it's actually an incident related to the blowout that causes his son to go deaf in that movie. So, but this is why you don't want that pressure material. It all shoots back up. Gas is released. Uh, the methane variety that is quickly, I believe it's methane at least, that becomes ignited. Explosions, fire, people die. Uh, huge portions of the structure are destroyed. The majority of people get out okay, including all the BP executives, because at least Peter Berg didn't insult our intelligence enough to actually, you know, kill people who survived the darn thing. Well, it would also not be believable that they wouldn't get the executives on the boats first. One, you know, you would get all first. You, I mean, if there were civilians on the thing, you would get them on. 
um, basically all non-essential, non-engineer, non-anyone that could possibly save the goddamn thing onto the boats, because why would you have them there? So I didn't have a major problem with that. Uh, oh, I, I mean, don't either. Like, That's how it actually played out. I would have been more annoyed had they actually, like, he had something fall on them. Oh. Uh, and then have them, you know, no, no, they actually survived this. Like, okay, then what are you doing? What are we doing here? Well, but you know, most people like get off. Uh, Kurt Russell. I would like to think Peterberg is not that big of a hack. You'd like to think that, wouldn't you? You've eaten <laughs> we'll my talk giant about that later. You're exceptionally strong. Sorry, I I can't help it. Anytime I say that part of the line, I have to keep going. No, I I my it's quiet is compulsion. to let you have. Your, I was gonna say when when I get quiet, it is to let you have your peace and your say because you so frequently remind me you are on this show too. Oh, you, you don't want to let me go too long. I can quote that whole movie. Let's not do that and say we did. Uh, fair enough. All right, so most people, most of the personnel get off. Uh, a few, uh, a lot of people die in the initial explode. A few die in the initial explosion. One dies heroically, preventing a crane from collapsing part of the platform. Uh, Kurt Russell, what was her name again? Uh, Gina Rodriguez and Mark Wahlberg stay behind to try and prevent this thing from getting any worse. Specifically, by centering the floating platform back over the pipe, so the pipe doesn't just snap off. Uh, restoring a little bit of power and then cutting inevitably leading to cutting the pipe and again, sealing it so that we don't leak, you know, we don't have a big natural disaster to go along with the financial one. Well, this doesn't actually work for those of you who remember the incident in question. Uh, they make a valiant effort. Doesn't work. Uh, Mark Wahlberg and Gina Rodriguez wind up actually jumping off of uh, the platform, they are rescued. Eleven people die. Uh, Mark Wahlberg is reunited with his family because, you know, he's got a family. Well, he's also in real life testifying at the beginning and the end of the movie. I mean, they focused yeah, on that, the man that was, because yeah, the man that wasn't was telegraphed in any way, shape, form, or fashion. I'll just, you know. They, 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 he, he picked that particular character because that character ended up testifying before Congress about what happened. Yeah. Um, uh, so they survive. Uh, Kurt Russell survives. There's a scene at the uh, hotel where they're ha- shuttling all the survivors to. Uh, but, you know, Mark, again, most of them survive. Again, there were only, I think, 11 people who died which is not to trivialize the loss of life. 11 people are still 11 people. You know, that's families, uh, you know, husbands, fathers, uh, you know, relatives who are not without that person. I don't mean to trivialize that. I just mean to point out that within the overall scope of things, it could have been a lot worse as this movie rather aptly demonstrates. Uh, the movie ends with actual newsreel footage of, people from the incident testifying before Congress about what happened, along with the reminder that uh, this whole incident caused something like 120 uh, gallons of raw oil to be dumped into the Gulf of Mexico. Thousands of gallons. That's been barrels. 
I don't know, a lot. It, this this had a demonstrable effect on the on the ecology of that location, and it's still having one, to be perfectly honest. And it's then also, it closes, uh, if, I correctly, if I remember correctly, not to get all political, but if I remember correctly, this was also like President Obama's like first real non-economy related disaster of his presidency. It was like his first big challenge. I'll have to take your word for it. Okay. I I do my best to block out Obama's terms. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Look, I'm not a Democrat, nor was I an Obama supporter or a voter, but give me a break. <laughs> for God's sake. Mm, no. All right. Anyway, this ends with them testifying before Congress. The brief, the brief, you know, news panel that this is the worst natural disaster. This is the worst oil disaster in the history of the United um, States. Sorry, you have your movie quotes. I've got mine. I don't know if you if you got that or not. And then closes with a brief kind of memorial tribute to the eleven gentlemen who actually died on the thing. Uh. All right, Mark, uh, you and I had vastly different experiences with this movie, apparently, so why don't you go ahead and get us started? All right. Um, first, uh, I was into it. Uh, I enjoyed the film. Um, you, you've got Robert's kind of um, uh, dry run-through of the movie. Let me describe it another way. It's a lot of setup to what ends up becoming a series of explosions and people jumping into the water and horrible things happening with, not, with no breaks. You get a little bit of Mark Wahlberg's wife trying to find out what the fuck is happening, but overall, it's set up, set up, set up, set up, boom, for the next half an hour to 45 minutes to an hour or so, and then a, uh, a very emotional conclusion which is families being reunited, a photo gallery of the 11 people who died, and, um, and then a little bit more of the testimony of the real-life guy that Mark Wahlberg played. Um, I enjoyed the film. I was entertained you know, in, the fa- in the sense that I was you know, horrified by what happened or what was at least presented on screen. But, I mean, the, it, it captured my attention for the full length of the movie. I was awake through the whole thing, I promise you. Um, even with all the gobbledygook uh, tech talk on, on the oil rig that I did not understand. I could get the gist of it. And it's not like you get lost in the movie, but, you know, you basically have one guy barking, um, you know, go get that oil, and other people barking, but everything's broke. <laughs> so, kind of have a movie for the first part of it goes. But here's really what I want to focus on um, for just a minute. Uh, so we've all, so we've talked about on this show, and I'm not going to re- re-explain the whole thing, but I'm, I'm exceedingly empathetic, um, and I'm emotional. Uh, I kind of wear my heart on my sleeve, and I tend to cry at the drop of a hat, um, just out of, out of over-empathy. So... I completely went to pieces because I identified with what was happening with the Mark Wahlberg character. But I even, but even before I say what finally broke me, the setup to where to what happens to him was 
So they set they they had sort of a rendezvous set up um, at a hotel, you know, where the the oil workers could come in and reunite with their families and you know and have a place to kind of convalesce. So uh, as Mark Wahlberg walks through a a uh, pool of reporters who are asking him questions and this and that because he's like the last guy off the rig, and poor bastard, um, he has to climb up to the top of the rig jump over fire he hits the water and then something hits him in the head on top of everything else and so he finally makes it and he stumbles onto the to the life raft and he's carried off to safety but you know pretty worse for wear um in any case he's reunited he uh he goes to the hotel and no sooner does he enter this hotel and he's a little disoriented and he has some guy uh come up and going where's my son now if you watched what happened, he is clearly traumatized. And, I'm, and I don't even want to get into what really happened on the thing um, versus what was on the screen. It's going to get overly complicated. So I'm just talking about what is presented in the film. And what is presented in the film is this extended period of things exploding around him. He several several traumatic injuries. Most of them do. But him, I'm, he's what I'm focusing on. So he's constantly being blown up. He's constantly being injured in this very intense short period of time. So he's clearly got a case of PTSD going, post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, he comes in, he, there's, the way that they shot it, you can clearly see them presenting him as disoriented. And the first thing he has to deal with is a guy shaking him violently going, where's my son? Someone tell me where my son is. You were on the rig with him. You know what happened to him. Where's my son? And you can't see me, but I'm currently shaking my fists. Um, and he's like, oh, guy. And like, he couldn't answer him. You know, one, he probably didn't know. And two, he was so out of it at that point, he, could, he couldn't form a coherent sentence. So that sets the whole thing up. My feeling as I'm watching this, as just a moviegoer, is, oh, my God, how horrifying. But it had just begun. Because now he goes to his room takes a few steps, stumbles, falls down, like gets his sweatshirt off, falls down, and starts to cry. But this isn't the kind of crying that I was doing, as I empathized with his emotional no, state. This no, this is full-on breakdown. Full on breakdown. I, yeah, I, this is a guttural, animalistic, I have lost my soul cry. This man is broke in a million pieces. Excuse me. And the next thing you see is his wife and daughter running the room. You're about to lose just is, recounting this, aren't you? Trying not to. And the wife is cradling him like a baby in her arms and holding him like, like on her bosom. And the daughter runs in, and he lets go of the wife, and he hugs her, and we fade out of that. And it, it broke me, okay? I, I had to go to the bathroom when it was over and, like, pull myself together so I could drive home, you know, with, you know, with safe, dry eyes. But, you know, if movies, good, bad, or indifferent, are supposed to make you feel something, um, then this movie was very successful for me in doing that. Um, I 
every explosion, this isn't the sort of Michael Bay, you know, boom, Transformers, boom, the Ninja Turtles kind of a uh, situation where the explosions are kind of meaningless and no one gets affected by them. You know, an explosion goes off and Mark Wahlberg or what's his face from the first three, you know, goes flying into the air and then manages to land on his feet like a, like a cat and nothing happens. No one's affected by anything. Explosions have no consequence. This isn't that. There's a, when, when the rig first. And we lost Mark. Uh, apologies for that. Let me make sure he knows that he just got cut off. Uh, but to kind of piggyback on what he's saying, especially if we're comparing, you know, Berg to Bay in this particular instance, uh, I agree that the explosions here serve a purpose. They serve a greater narrative, and people who are caught in them or near them are injured or killed. And things have weight. Things have heft to them, both emotionally and on screen. Oh, excuse me. And that whole... And so, you know, it plays a lot better as far as that goes. Uh, You back? back. Okay. Yes, I am. All right, so I was talking about Kurt Russell. Uh, yeah, you, you, were, you were just talking about how the explosions in this movie actually have you know, some weight and consequence to them. Okay, um, I don't know how much of the Kurt Russell stuff you got. Basically, he's in the shower. So he, the place explodes. His shower blows. He goes flying across the room. And you can hear, like if you've ever had something, if you've ever set up fireworks or something and you've been close to it, or you've ever had, or, or you've you know, shot guns, you know that the, you can get a ringing in your ear. Well, if you've ever been in an explosion, tinnitus. It's ten times worse, huh? It's tinnitus. It's actually the final res- uh, the final resonance of uh, how you hear things is kind of weird. Actually, uh, there okay. are well, from a- strands in your ear that vibrate at specific frequencies. When you have tinnitus like that, especially from something traumatic like an explosion or a gunshot, gunshot or louder it actually snaps them off and that ringing in your ear is actually the last time you'll ever be able to hear that particular pitch. So having said that, you get a sense of that as the audience member was the whole point of me bringing all that up. You, with each explosion, with each situation, you are, I feel like you're put right there um, as an audience member, as opposed to a lot of action movies where stuff is happening, but it has no consequence and you don't necessarily have a visceral attachment to it. Um, at least that was my takeaway. Robert may have, may have had a different experience, but I felt on the one hand, obviously safe. I know I'm in a movie theater, but I felt very enraptured by what I was looking at. And I felt like I was right there on the rig. Um, and you could feel these guys' pain and uh, the stuff going on around them. So uh, I, wanted, I wanted to talk about that first um, and just kind of get that out of the way. It was a very emotional, very, very um, visceral, realistic movie for me who knows nothing about this and, and has never worked on an oil rig. Um, performances, eh. Uh, I mean, I think people played their parts okay. Um, 
you know, it got a little hard to understand. I mean, you're picking on Mark Wahlberg, but I thought John Malkovich was just as was just as bad. Uh, Kurt Russell was fine. You know, he was intelligible. But um, uh, uh, tuna, the tuna from uh, what's the the Johnny Depp movie where, where he's the cocaine dealer. Uh, he uh, he's he's the one that finally gives the uh, the, the order to go ahead and, and drill or whatever, um, and then. <laughs> and then says, oh, God, I wish I'd never listened to you, uh, which I thought was pretty funny. Um, and they all, unfortunately, they all die. But, you know, like I said, the, the, the uh, minor cast folks did their jobs accordingly. Um, I don't feel like anyone gave a bad performance. I don't think anyone gave, like, an outstanding performance. Um, but as an aside, despite that, um, Everyone, including Mark Warburg, in my opinion, gave an adequate uh, to good performance. Mark Wahlberg's still going to get a nomination for an Oscar. If nothing else, he'll get it for that last scene, um, which was phenomenal. No way. Um, no, no way the guy gets a nomination, nomination, nomination out of this. Yes, he does. This is, total, this is a total Oscar, uh, with the way, especially with the way Hollywood is now, this is absolutely going to get an Oscar nomination. I can't possibly I see that. I, I just not I, like I, or eight people for best actor. They got room. No, no, they do no, not nominate no, seven, not seven or eight people for best actor. Best they keep that to I believe six. Sorry. Might even be five. Um, I really would five. have to double check. No, it's best picture that got really cluttered recently. Yeah, it'll get a best picture nominee, and he will get a best. Actor oh, I, nominee. I, I can't. I, to the Academy, don't. There's no reason for it. This is not. This is not that good a movie. Um, I mean, and to your point, like I, that's why I started off with, eh, you know, it's a lot of, uh, you know, it, it's a lot of, you know, setup and then explosions. There's not a narrative arc as such. It's sort of a dramatized um, reenactment of an event that happened, and they tried to. They tried to shoehorn a little bit of the drama at the end with uh, Jennifer, uh, Michelle Rodriguez's character and uh, Mark Wahlberg. And at that point, you know, on the one hand, I was like, oh, God, you know, I would hate to see them have to jump over a fire. And on the other hand, I was like, please just get on with this. <laughs> I, I understand you were trying to find a narrative dramatic hook, but oh, my God, get I'm much more interested in all the other stuff happening here. Not, 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 not her fear of jumping off the stupid rig. Um, so overall, uh, you talked about the performances. I don't have an issue with the CGI. That's all Robert. Um, and, you know, I, I, it was a solid couple hours of entertainment. Um, beyond that. Beyond, oh God, it felt longer. Um, my theater was pretty full, uh, though the, the, when we talk about the money, it, it did not do well. And that's really all I have to say about it. Um, if, it uh, if it hadn't been about an oil rig going up in flames, I otherwise would not have gone to see it. Uh, personally, uh, look, I've talked about this here. I'm at least half a robot, right? <laughs> I have a handful of emotional buttons that when you push them, I probably have a somewhat disproportionate reaction to. 
It's very binary. It's on or it's off. Nothing in this movie came anywhere close to engaging me emotionally. Now, I freely admit I might be in the minority there, and so be it. Uh, I'll agree with you about John Malkovich. His accent was uh, interesting. At least he was (laughs) – I will say this. At least he was consistent. It was weird, but it was weird throughout. Yeah. Um, I, didn't I agree with you about the. Ex- sorry, go ahead. Uh, it, it, I'm sorry. Just that's real. I want to focus a little bit on that. They really could have gone out of their way to make the the uh, the BP guys, you know, like, you know, tie a tie a young lady to a, to the train tracks, mustache twirly, <laughs> Boris Badenov, uh greed is good types. They came across as guys sent there to do a job and get the Death Star built on time. They, you know, and they're probably not the first people to to try to uh, rationalize doing something, uh, probably against the greater good or the greater safety of everybody on there because time is money. Um, oh, and they won't be the last either. No. And so, to look, I don't know if it's fair to demonize them. People make horrible mistakes. This was a horrible mistake. And it's not like when it was, you know, this isn't like one of those movies where you see a guy makes a terrible mistake and he doubles down on it. <laughs> you, know? Oh. Like, you know, and then it turns out he was working for the CIA the whole time, but the FBI knew about it, whatever. This wasn't that. He made him, he makes, he makes a judgment call. It ends horribly. People start to die around him. He realizes, and I have to give John Malkovich a lot of credit. He portrays this very well without a single word of dialogue. Um, it's all in his face and his actions. A lot of it was in his shoulders, actually. You watch very closely. Um, yeah. He's, he is burdened with guilt. He's killed several people by making... A judgment call. That's not a bad guy. That's just a monumental fuck up. And again, they showed him as guilty. Uh, not you know, not guilty like in a court of law, but feeling guilty. I'm satisfied with that. The nightmares this guy's probably gonna have, or is currently having. It was. I guess it would have been nice if he went to jail, but he didn't. No, you can't prove wrongdoing. I was grateful they added that, no, those charges were dismissed because, I mean, if you want to indict them for manslaughter, you need evidence that there was negligence or your criminal negligence. And there wasn't in this case, assuming events were somewhat accurately portrayed. There was no, okay, this is a bad idea. No one in their right mind would do this. Well, we're doing it anyway. There were mitigating circumstances. There was controversial data. And right. like you said, it's a judgment call. It was the wrong one, but, um, but you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. If nothing had gone wrong, then he looks like a genius who helps get everything back on track. I mean, right. that, that's the position that he found himself in. And I like they portrayed him that way. Right. So that, I, I just – and I needed saying – in terms of you know performances and craft of the movie, they didn't go out of their way to demonize anybody. They presented things presumably as they were. 
Um, there are shades of gray here. No one should be watching this movie saying there are defined good guys and defined bad guys. It was everyone doing a job. And as I as occurring in my real life, even people doing the same job can come at cross purposes. You know, people have agendas. Oh, frequently. You know the old joke, you get a bunch of experts in a room together and they won't agree on anything? <laughs> right. As they, say on the, as they said in the second season of The Wire, four Pollocks, five opinions. Um, so that's, that's where I'm going to... Okay. Um, I'm going to pitch it back to Robert here uh, for your final word on the craft part of this. It's competently made. Uh, this, uh, I didn't have a problem with any of the CGI. None of it took me out of the movie. So credit to them for that. There's a really interesting, and you brought this up a little bit as far as you know, the, the action once it starts is continuous. I almost wonder if they went out of their way to display that in essentially real time. Uh, and if you pay attention, when, they, when the uh, Coast Guard helicopters head out, start heading out to the Deepwater Horizon as part of their rescue mission after the fire becomes visible and, you know, maydays are called. It's mentioned specifically that they're 30, 35 minutes out. Now, if you're like me and you pay attention to these things, in movie speak, you know, 35 minutes out can be resolved in less than two minutes of screen time. In this case, they don't show up until everyone's actually off of the rig. So I, and I'd really have to double check this, but from a craft perspective, if they did make that decision to, okay, once this thing, you know, this incident lasted, for want of a better example, let's say it was, you know, from first blowout to uh, everyone off the rig was exactly, you know, 40 minutes. And the action sequences on the rig last exactly 40 minutes as an, in an attempt to in real time replicate the event, uh, I find that interesting personally. Stuff, stuff displayed in real time on screen genuinely interests me, especially when compared with the average narrative where time is so malleable, you're never quite sure exactly how much has passed until people actually tell you. Uh, I just, I was just not engaged by this movie is kind of the main thing. Uh, you know, it, again, it's competent. The acting is acceptable. Nothing Oscar worthy. The direction is, again, Peterberg is just not good. And let me rephrase. Peterberg is not exceptional or noteworthy. He is competent. And sadly, that's lacking in traditional Hollywood. As our opening song says, you're terrific if you're even good. <laughs> and, on, and on that sliding scale, Peter Berg is a little bit less than terrific. Uh, it's, it's just a movie. I mean, if you have 90 minutes to kill, then uh, you could do worse, but I can't necessarily recommend it a whole lot. And again, I am kind of apologizing to Mark for making us come on here and do the show because I was so just kind of nonplussed by the whole experience. <laughs> okay. Uh, are we ready? I'll be ready for the money, sir. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. Here comes the money.
This thing bombed. <laughs> so I have an article up from Variety. Miss um, Peregrine's uh, Home for Gifted Mutants was Extraordinary uh, Unusual Children. Yeah, Professor Xavier's Home for Gifted Mutants uh, won the weekend um, based on a novel of some sort from what I was reading. I don't know. I, I, anyway, I, I think there's it. actually a series of them. Yeah. Um, first of all, I hate Tim Burton. Second of all, I was not interested in, in the movie, but it did well. It attracted a crowd. It attracted an audience. Um, it's because Tim Burton has his group of Burton files. Yeah. So Miss Peregrine came in at number one. Deepwater Horizon, I believe, was number two. However, uh, it's got a $110 million budget, and according to Variety, ahem, um, Sequels or not, Miss uh, Sequels or not, Miss Peregrine's is in a much better position than Deepwater Horizon after the expensive adventure drama from the lone survivor team of Mark Wahlberg and Peter Berg collapsed with a twenty twenty point six million dollar opening. The look at the men and women who were forced to grapple with one of the worst oil spills in history cost roughly one hundred twenty million to produce after incentives are taken into account. The hope is that strong word of mouth will bolster sales. It won't in the coming weeks. And that the film will follow the blueprints of, uh, of other adult dramas such as Fury in the town by showing some audience endurance. But analysts are skeptical, skeptical as am I. Which is interesting because um, we'll talk about this in our third segment when we get to the uh, reviews. But just, just a quick preview. The Tomato Meter has an 83% certified fresh, so the critics loved it. And, and their audience score on Rotten Tomatoes is 88%. So those who actually went to go see the goddamn thing really liked it. Uh, but here's, you know, as, as we talk about it, it's not just a matter of whether or not things are liked by critics and, and people who saw it. Think about um, Mass Appeal and... Let us consider um, Suicide Squad, for example. Nobody liked <laughs> Suicide Squad, but everybody not- saw it. Not true. People like Suicide Squad. I've got the audience score to prove it. Um, yeah, I don't care. But you are with, the brain damage do not count. Oh, stop it! Don't be a racist. Um, I'm not racist. However, you call me a racist, I call you one back. You specifically no, me... reference those of Polish descent within your derogatory comments. I find that to be racist. I insulted the handicapped. That's not a race. Okay, don't be racist. And I was quoting The Wire. It doesn't count. Um, so, <laughs> At this point, I'm not sure one. about that. You, given how frequently you quote The Wire, it might just be like not an acceptable excuse from you anymore. Um, so there's a, there's a mass appeal issue. I don't know how many people really want to watch a 90-minute movie about an oil rig going up in flames. Like I said, I was ha- – I, I was also in one of the smaller theaters in the one that I go to, so take that into account. It wasn't like the big IMAX theater or anything. Um, the second thing is competition. Uh, this thing came out against, um, you know, Miss Peregrine, which we already talked about. Um, the Magnificent Seven uh, dropped to number three, but it's still out there. Storks came in at four, Sully in at five. People are still going to see those movies. Um, and Masterminds had also come out this week, but it debuted at number six. So uh, <laughs> Masterminds also bombed. Uh, my wife actually went to go see Bridget Jones's Baby, so you have people going to see that. People are still going to see Suicide Squad. 
um, <sighs> that dropped to 11, and it drew almost two million dollars uh, for the for the weekend. You still have uh, Blair Witch, which dropped from six to 12, which brought in about 15 million dollars. So people are still going to see that. Um, you know, coming into the uh, what's you know what's coming out next week. Um, you've got uh, Birth of a Nation, you've got Girl on the Train, and Middle School, The Worst Years of My Life. So when, when it's a battle for dollars and, and people's interests, I don't know yeah, how many one, are going to look at one's the theaters. way short. Yeah, I don't know what people, people are going to be looking in the theaters and going, do I really want, you know, would I rather take my kids to go see Middle School, The Worst Years of My Life? Not me, but maybe you. Um, or, you know, maybe go see The Girl on the Train if you read the book. Or do I want to see a movie about a brig blowing up? Eh, you know, I, I I know what I'd want to see, but I ain't everybody. And it's only a few short weeks until fucking uh, we're into November when the real good stuff comes starts to come, starts to come back out again. We've got Inferno on the twenty eighth. We've got Doctor Strange on the fourth, <laughs> followed by troll with uh, trolls coming out the same weekend for all the giddies. Um, oh, there's another bit of Oscar bait that same weekend as far as Hacksaw Ridge goes. Right. Um, you've got Almost Christmas, which people are going to want to go see. Um, you've got Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk. Ugh. Don't go see that, people. <laughs> Just, see I'll that, save people. you the trouble right now. Don't do it. <laughs> I, I threatened Robert. I said, if you make me go see Billy Lynn's Halftime Walk, I'm walking off his podcast. Um, and then you've got the new Disney movie. You've got the new Disney. You know, if I thought movie. that threat would work the other way around, I might use it once in a while, given some of the crap you <laughs> make me watch. The name of our podcast, Damn You Hollywood, a review of crap. Um, and then just just to close up this just a segment. And then Wednesday, the November twenty third, you've got the new Disney princess movie set in the Polynesian with a rock. So and and and, and, and the. the and people not going to see that movie are going to see Bad Santa too. So as I said, competition, you know, isn't the stiffest. It's not like you know we've got like Civil War and X Men coming out or anything, but it's stiff enough well, that I don't. The think issue here is instead of instead of one juggernaut that's going to trample it, you've got three or four good movies that are just going <laughs> to chip away at it, even though it doesn't have a whole lot to start with. So, back to the uh, initial numbers here. Um, 120. It's, it's saying production, but you know, as, as, as Variety said, after incentives, 120 million roughly, and this thing only brought in worldwide 36 million dollars. Did 24 domestic and uh, 12 million foreign as of today, as of as of this show. So yeah, I uh, it better win an Oscar or two, or at least get nominated. Otherwise, this thing is a complete disaster. No pun intended. Well, there's a couple of visual aspects that I can see maybe getting nominated, but other than that, no. I will bet you one shiny nickel Mark Wahlberg gets the Best Actor nomination. You know, if I were to bet you, it wouldn't be for money. I would try to remove crappy movies from our schedule. I have to tell you, I almost <laughs> I almost had a complete meltdown, like, conniption, because I thought they moved Barbie off the, June, uh, um, off the May 12th uh, date. And put it, and I thought it was originally scheduled for June second, and they moved it to May twelfth. I thought I was reading that say that it was the other way around, that it, they moved it from May twelfth to June second, which is when Wonder Woman comes out. 
and I almost flipped my desk over at work. Why? Did I have an excuse not to see it? No, I would have made you see it anyway, and we would have done a double feature. No. (laughs) What do you mean, no? I mean, no. (laughs) Yeah. Look, I I have little enough hope for Wonder Woman for my own personal enjoyment. If you would have made me see Barbie as well, I would have shot someone. Well, no, you are seeing Barbie. It is on the schedule. I know, but uh, like I said, if you'd made me do a double feature with another movie that I'm not exactly thrilled about, that might have been too much. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. I'm not happy about it being there at all, mind you. Well, you could always use your get out of free pass. Uh, I... I might. My the biggest problem there is I don't think anyone else will come on and talk with you about it. I'll get my daughter to do it. She'll be six by then. Six and a half. Yep, I knew it. You're trying to replace me. <laughs> hey, I she's my she's my little TV and movie buddy right now because I can't get my son to sit down for shit. Him, we toy, we tossed the football around in the backyard tonight because I'm that kind of dad. Um, but you know when it was time to just you know, have daddy daughter time. We watch the Batman cartoon, not like the good one. You know, Batman. Oh, you mean the one that's actually like oh. called the Batman? Yeah, the Batman. We watched because she, she wanted not to see a... an episode with Poison Ivy, and that I was able to find uh, was the start of season three. Yeah, that's uh, that's just not nearly as good. I'm starting her off slow. All right, you ready to do the? Uh, you ready to move on here? No, God! No, God, please, no! 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 (laughs) All righty, as I said, 83% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes and 88 uh, audience score. So people liked it, but of course some didn't. So tonight I'm only going to read from the 30 Rotten reviews. There's no funny, there's no funny fresh ones my uh, original reading of this. Um, Bill, ben Ferguson of the Willamette Week. Deepwater Horizon is too incoherent to be gripping and doesn't acknowledge that the Deepwater tragedy not only gave rise to courage under oil and fire, but illustrated a primal truth. You mess with nature, nature messes back. Uh, first of all, it's Willamette. All right. I lived out. I lived around that area for a while, and anytime some there's a colloquialism there to people who call it Willamette, it's Willamette, damn it. And I dislike elements of this particular critique. You're attempt. You're attempting to foist your own particular brand of liberalism, in this case, environmentalism, onto what is intended to be a more accurate and simply factual representation rather than one with an agenda. It's one of the things I enjoyed about the movie that there's no ham fisted uh, oil bad message behind it. Victor Stiff of the film school rejects Deepwater horizon lacks the fun. (laughs) Deepwater horizon lacks the fun found in big dumb action movies. The suspense found in thrillers and the emotional heft found in dramas. It just floats in a humdrum middle ground. Okay. A few things. 
One, while I was not emotionally engaged in this movie personally, let's just tackle your theoretical criticisms one by one, shall we? It's not as fun as a big, dumb action movie. Well, that's because it's not. There's not as much tension and emotion as there is in drama. Well, see previous statement, it's not a drama. It's not as interesting as a thriller. There's nothing to be... Look, thrillers have mystery. There's no mystery here. If you were alive at the time this happened, you know exactly what's going on. The fact that the movie avoids all of, those, all of that stupidity is actually a credit to it. I mean, sure, it just kind of... It, I'll agree it's a little meandering. And again, I wasn't engaged on an emotional level. But you can't necessarily criticize it for failing to fall into your preconceived genre notions when it's not intended to fall into them. This is not a thriller, it's not an action movie, and it's not a drama. It's a disaster biopic. So by definition, you saying it didn't fall into these categories, I mean, it's not, it just means it was accurate with its marketing and representation. You might as well say it's not as funny as a comedy. Well, no kidding. <laughs> well, it's animated as a cartoon. You're well correct, sir. Yes, the sky is also perceived as blue due to how the excessive nitrogen content in the atmosphere diffuses the wa- wa- wavelengths of light from the sun. And there's your Mr. Wizard on. Andy Chen of the Straits Times in Singapore. All that sound and fury signify only more sound and fury. Wow. It's almost like it's an accurate representation of a disaster. (laughs) I mean, seriously, this is not an art project. This movie is not intended to be as such. Well, this explosion didn't symbolize the death of the oil industry. Well, that's because the oil industry, last I checked, is still alive and booming. Jake Cole, Slant Magazine. The film should have been a cautionary tale, but in Peter Berg's hands, it's a hollow account of the resilience of the human spirit. Because who wants to see a movie about the resilience of the human spirit? Wow. Just wow. Once again, I don't like oil, so I want all movies to be about how oil is bad. Shut up, (laughs) you whiny bitch. Speaking of which, Christopher Lawrence of the Las Vegas Review Journal, Deepwater Horizon means well. It's both an attempt to explain the root cause of the world's most worst man-made disasters and salute the heroism that took place on that fateful day. Unfortunately, though, it muddies the waters on both counts. Uh, I think that's somewhat accurate. Uh, there are issues, again, with... with talk, when you talk about the science behind it, I actually think there could have been a little bit more and it could have been explained a little bit better for the average moviegoer. And yeah, some of the people who actually do heroic things are uh, not discussed, aren't necessarily given names or a whole lot of screen time other than, oh, look, that person died. So I think those are relatively fair criticisms. All right. Um, Well, if you think that's fair, Sam Fragosa of The Wrath. Nothing in what what appears during the movie's 107-minute running time seems to truly honor those whose lives were irreversibly altered during this national tragedy. Boy, do I disagree with that. Okay, let's, well, let's do a couple of things here. 
One, you're wrong. Just flat out, full full stop, you are wrong. Considering the fact that I'm going to go out on a minor limb here and say you didn't even know the name of a single man or woman who was on that, who was involved in that prior to this film. Just a minor limb I'm going out on there. Second, this is not a national tragedy. This is a regional disaster. Let's not blow things out of proportion here. Don't get me wrong. Regionally, this was a this was a disaster on a regional scale. That uh, again, the effects are still being felt. This is not a national tragedy. So again, let's rein back in this sensationalism, buddy. You're supposed to be paid for this. <laughs> I still marvel at that. All right. Um... How is someone not paying us? I mean, they're paying these people. I thought I gave a very good uh, description of the drama that was presented uh, as far as the mental health aspects from the survivors. Would someone please cut me a check? (laughs) Jesus, that was better than anything I've read so far. More Um, importantly, you actually have credibility as a person who works in the mental health field. I've seen someone have a breakdown. It looks a little something like this. (laughs) If I have. Um, Ignady Vishnevetsky uh, from the AV Club. This is a top critic, ladies and gentlemen, so brace yourself here. A poor man's towering inferno despite the hefty $156 million budget. Wow. (laughs) Really? The two are not related. At all. The Towering Inferno is, if memory serves, and I apologize if I am not remembering this correctly, actually has to deal in elements with uh, a couple of unscrupulous characters who are robbing the building that's burning down. And it's specifically a localized man-made disaster and a vehicle for Steve McQueen and Charlton Heston to trade dialogue. This is nothing like that. At all. With the lone exception of, well, it's a disaster movie that's localized to a specific area instead of, you know, continents exploding. Okay. (laughs) One's meant to be a realistic depiction of actual events. The other, again, is a slightly lesser known Steve McQueen movie. These two things are not alike. Chris Barsante of Pop Matters. So entranced by individual bravery, it mostly forgets about corporate villainy. <laughs> uh, so you're one of these morons who actually believes movie cliches are true, right? Well, I mean, on. you're still wait you're still waiting for that girl you like to start liking you after you've been friends forever because movies have told you that's how this works, right? Uh, you they believe that Vin Diesel is capable of drifting across the continent of Asia undefeated in street races, right? You believe that Sylvester Stallone is capable of firing an M60 with one hand accurately at a range of, you know, hundreds of yards. You're a moron. Can I try? Can I, can I, can I say something? Yeah. (laughs) I'm so depressed now. Do you remember that scene in Aliens where um, 
the uh, the male lead has Paul Rudd sort of pressed against the wall. He's screaming about the corporation. Do you remember that? Yeah, kind of. I feel like there are there are reviewers who wanted that kind of a scene in the movie. Like they wanted Kurt well, Russell to, stupid. to grab John Malkovich and go, You do this you knew this was gonna happen all along, didn't you? You knew it. You just moved the headstones, you didn't move the bodies. Poltergeist. Um And if you're stupid you think that actually happens. That never happens. This is intended to be an actual representation. Stuff like that doesn't happen in real life. Are there cor- Is corporate villainy a thing? To varying degrees, sure. Was there any here? Not, to the, uh, not based on the evidence I've seen. This was simply a judgment call. And because, but no, because the evil oil corporation wasn't actually out to murder people, you didn't adequately <laughs> represent corporate villainy. What, what's the matter with you? This is what's wrong with the world. You, sir, are what's wrong with the world. You represent the disillusionment of the social contract and the exponential decline in family values. You. <laughs> Eric D. Snyder of ericdsnyder.com. Despite Berg's best efforts, the movie can't overcome its formulaic ordinariness. And I'll tell you what, before you say anything, that sentiment is shared by a lot of the reviews that I'm reading on the rotten side. I haven't read them, um, but I, but it basically, a lot of people felt the way that this guy did, that this is just, you know, a paint by numbers, blah, blah, blah. Ordinary. I, I, I do, the, the sad thing is, I don't necessarily disagree with that. There's a few interesting things. One, again, the fact that they went out of their way for realism and for you know accuracy, I appreciate personally. The fact that I believe the explosion and the actual disaster is represented in real time, I like personally. But. It's just a disaster movie. I mean, Mark, you said it yourself. It's just kind of there. I mean, minus the hook that this is based on real events, there's nothing here. You know, but like I, but as I did said, I think it all builds. I think it all builds to that scene with Mark Wahlberg walking into the hotel room, and you either respond to that or you don't. Um. The hook to get people in the movies is to watch an oil rig go up in flames. But I think the drama uh, rests in a very, very small nutshell that takes place after that. And I was moved by it. Not everyone's going to be. And you don't have to be a robot to not be moved by it. Obviously, a lot of these people are probably not ASCII robots. But they wanted the drama to be in the explosions and that's not where the drama was no Uh, and the fact that he located the drama within the actual human element is a credit to peter berg's decision making as a director and also an alienating factor for most moviegoers because most moviegoers are kind of stupid and have been brainwashed by michael bay's crap for too many years 
I mean, if I was going to make any change, I would have just taken out the whole part where he's arguing with, with Rodriguez over, over jumping off the thing. I would have removed that element completely. I'd have gotten her off the goddamn thing without the argument. And if anything, I might have just focused on him getting off the rig uh, without any dialogue and climbing, climbing, you know, showing the fire, showing him, showing the fire, showing him. He's got to climb, keep going back and forth, keep showing more explosions, um, you know, put him in a little bit more peril and have him, and then rest the camera on him at the top of the rig. Do a pan around of the whole thing, come back around, show a POV shot of him looking into the water with the fire, and then he jumps. And I probably would have ended it there. Um, that whole, I wouldn't have even shown him getting back on the boat. I would have jumped to the hotel because I feel like they show him getting on the boat and you can see how the events affected him when he pulls himself into, um, you know, into the one hallway, uh, stairwell and, you know, and the camera rests a little bit there, but then, but then the next thing you do is you go into the hotel scene. Why not just cut that? You're going to show the same thing in greater detail in the very next scene. So, so one, cut the unnecessary stupid drama of, I don't want to jump off the thing. You got to jump up. I'm going to save you. Well, tell me about your car again. Ugh, God, Cut that because it's stupid. And just show this man trying to avoid death. You know, have him look at the rig as it's blowing up and have as only Mark Wahlberg can portray regret and sadness. And then have him jump and then go to the hotel. I don't know what you think about that, but that's how I would have done it. I would have done it differently, but I think that's perfectly valid. Okay. Um, okay, Jeffrey Lyles of the Lyles Movie Files. An awkward attempt at retrofitting an actual tragedy onto the standard Hollywood disaster movie template. I imagine you, if you were not, you know, in diapers at the time, you probably typed the same thing about Titanic. <laughs> All right, I'm going to do one more here, and then I think we got a call up for tonight. Um, let's see, I gotta find a good one. Uh, and you haven't elevated my blood pressure yet. Come on. <laughs> Rex Reed of the New York Observer, top critic. Noisy, intense, though familiar and unimaginative. <sighs> it's a representation of actual events. There's nothing imaginative about this. Incidents like this on oil rigs have been occurring since the invention of the oil derrick. Well, it's not imaginative enough. It's not, this isn't freaking Avatar, all right? <laughs> Nor is it supposed to be. Like, what's the matter with you? Ugh. I got Two more here, and then, like, we, then like we're done. This gritty realism doesn't tap into my subconscious imagination. Wow. <laughs> it's almost <laughs> like they didn't want it to. 
Scott Tobias of NPR, top critic. A common oh, disaster movie. Cardboard... Wait, this gets better. A common disaster movie with cardboard heroes and villains and an excess of Irwin Allen spectacle. Any sense of outrage goes up in smoke. Because there's not supposed to be outrage. This was not a... There was nothing malicious here. I mean, okay, look, was there maybe airing on the side of let's make money instead of lose money? Okay, I'll buy that. But there's no, there's nothing malicious. There's no, oh boy, if we do this, I can poison the entire Gulf of Mexico and just cripple economies across seven states and part of Mexico and all that and you know negatively impact the image of my company, my billion dollar oil company, mind you, for generations to come. Yes, this is my plan for what what the hell? <laughs> is this what you want? You want social outrage based on random tragedy? You are that's disgusting. That is just disgusting. That's attempting I mean look, it's bad enough to try and profit off of tragedy. I think it's somewhat worse to irrationally spin it so you can feel better about your political views. I feel like a lot of these reviewers would have read, would have done the movie with the explosions first, and then the rest of the movie would have been all the political and uh, all the political fallout uh, focused on DP. Like there would have been scenes of uh, them setting up the, the thing where people could if your life was affected by the Gulf of Mexico, if like you were a fisherman or something, you get a check. You know, like 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 they wanted to do basically. Oh hey, May. you know they could have actually used YouTube footage of people who were actually affected by it. There you go. But uh, uh, like Treme was done that way. Treme was done like X amount of months post Katrina, and it focused on people who you know had survived the thing and what it did to their life. And I feel like people. Like people reviewing this movie kind of considered the whole premise of the movie as an afterthought and wanted to see, like, well, what happened? I next? want BP to take another, you know, public relations hit courtesy of a hundred million dollar movie so I can feel better about driving an electric car that's actually terrible for the environment based on the battery composition and how it's made. So I've got two more for you. I had one, but then I found another in the press reviews that I had to read. Um, Neil Rosen of NY1-TV, this is a rotten review, judged strictly as a big-budget action film. We've seen it all before in dozens of other movies, and it's boring and uninvolving. Um, Again, there are elements of that that are true. There's nothing new here. There's... Oh, there's only a handful of things about this movie that interested me personally. And again, in a world where Michael Bay is king, and that's kind of the cinematic world we live in, folks, with one or two exceptions. Yeah, this feels very in the same vein. Fortunately, as a man who despises the films of Michael Bay almost universally, with you know, two or three exceptions, uh, I, elements of this were welcome change of pace and finally in the fresh reviews I'm reading this just for you Robert Bill Newcott of AARP movies for grown-ups old guys rule for better and for worse in Deepwater Horizon so what 
<laughs> wow, they went with a cast that appeals to my demographic. Yes, Mark Wahlberg's not young, and uh, Kurt Russell and John Malkovich are probably AARP members. I seem to recall they're both over 60. And I know that I know the age limit for ARP is not that, but I imagine they're both 60. That's not a review. That's not even a valid comment on the film in any sort of substantial way. What are you doing? (laughs) Wow, this appeals to my demographic. This movie's awesome. (laughs) What the I write reviews for 10-year-olds, ergo I must praise Michael Bay. No! (laughs) I think we're good here. Well, good's not really the phrase I would use, seeing as you have now further depressed me about the state of humanity, and we'll talk more about that tomorrow when we review Luke Cage. Oh, God, what is your problem? Oh, no. I mean, Luke Cage... Hang on. I mean, Luke Cage is an accurate representation of the destruction of the social contract. Oh, okay. So this is another Gavin... No, no, I don't. If I hate Jessica Jones because I hate women, I'm going to throw myself out a fucking window. No, but I will hold that particular threat in my back pocket for some point in the future. (laughs) I didn't like this movie because I'm not really into seeing the, you know, the flight of a black man. God damn it. I mean, partially I didn't, you and I had very different experiences with Luke Cage. I need to say that up front. We really could have just named this show that (laughs) Mark and Robin have very different experiences at the movie. Instead we went with damn you Hollywood. Well, that's easier to say. And not all. Um, and the other one is not always accurate. I mean, we're gonna have a lot of common ground when it comes to Luke Cage, and there's a few things that uh, we might wind up disagreeing on, which is fine and dandy. But um, bottom b- bottom line, that's what we're doing tomorrow. We will be reviewing the entire Luke Cage series. Um, the season's tomorrow. so good it broke Netflix. It did. So that's what we got on the calendar. No Metal Hammer of Doom this week. I was at Clutch, so it didn't happen. Uh, we got Luke Cage tomorrow. And then um, Metal Hammer of Doom will be back next week with our review of Epica, the holographic principle. Um, Ooh, and, then, and then no movie review uh, the following week, but Robert, but Long Road to Ruin will be back, and Robert will be on um, possibly Ben uh, as well to discuss the first two Hannibal Lecter movies, Silence of the Lambs and Hannibal. Yeah. Um, the following week, we will be, re- we'll, we'll be back. Our next review after Luke Cage is A Monster Calls with Sigourney Weaver uh, based on a book. Is that actually out so, this week? I mean, I've, I need to double check that because the last I saw it was coming out like not until December. Oh shit! I have it down as ten twenty one. Hang on, that's I, right. I got it. I believe that's the information I I had at one point when we talked about putting it on the schedule because there was you know, nothing else there. No, yeah. no, I had um, I have it as September. Uh, a monster. Hang on. <laughs> a monster called. Um, in Spain it comes out October seventh. Uh, well, when does it come out in America? 
I've got one here that says it comes out January 6, 2017. What's going on here? <laughs> no, I've got – hang on. No, you're right. I've got December 23rd now in the United States. Well, I guess we're not doing it in October then. If it doesn't come out until the 23rd of December, then, yeah, we're going to have to – that might actually what just the... leave the schedule because we had something else scheduled for that week. What the actual fuck? Um, originally scheduled for an October 2016 release, the film was delayed. Now it's set for a limited rollout in December, followed by a wide release in January. <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Does that mean I can get out of one of our crappy movies in January? Oh, God, no. Um, Wait, when is never. it? When is it in January? What was it, January uh, 1st? First week? It says January 1st in the UK, though. No, no, dang it. I, I just had it. I will look at. I will look up again. Movies. Uh, this is a good thing. All right, let's see what's going on. Monster today? calls. It is released. Okay, January sixth of two thousand seventeen. So yeah, uh, we can do that instead of Blood Wars. No, we can't. Yes, we can. Blood. It's it's an underworld movie. It's gonna be crap. Come on. I'll move it to the thirteenth. Or rather, uh, hang on, let me look. Uh, no, there's not the only other stuff coming out that week is that would be for that weekend uh, would be Hidden Figures, Monster Trucks, or the Bye Bye Man, and you're not interested in any of those. Nope. Um, so look, here's the deal, sir. You, you need to calm down. I we just are don't want to watch <laughs> Underworld no Blood Wars. No, no one cares what you want. You've me. made that abundantly that clear. January 11th, we're reviewing Underworld Blood Wars. End of discussion. Uh, the following week is open. I will now plug in. Uh, I'm, I'm plugging these in for Wednesday because Rob's Cooper schedule may have changed by then. If it's Tuesday, it'll be Tuesday. But for right now, I'm putting everything as what we're doing on Wednesday. Damn you, Hollywood. <laughs> Damn you, Hollywood. A monster, monster calls review. There you go. Uh, and when is it coming out, actually? Uh, the 6th. Same weekend as Blood right, Wars, which I would just rather, like... I can't tell you how many things I would rather do than watch that movie. Give me your top five. Top five what? Top five things you'd rather do than watch Underworld. Uh, put my head through a wall. Number, was that five or one? Five. Rewatch the last two seasons of House. Number three? Um, spend the same amount of time trying to convince my dog not to poop on the lawn. Number two? Uh, review. I think it's some other crappy movie. Revisit <laughs> the review of something else that I hated with you. Uh, Ghostbusters? Sure. I wouldn't watch it again, <laughs> but I'd rather review it again. Then watch, uh, then watch the new Underworld. 
And the number one thing you'd rather do than watch Underworld? Uh, slam my hand in a door. <laughs> okay, that was, the, that was a great bit of comedy. Moving on. Um, so we've got Hannibal Lecter on on October twentieth, and um, and we but then again we've got again on the twenty seventh, uh, and that will and the following week now we'll we'll be back a week later getting back. So our next review after Luke Cage after all that is Inferno, which comes out on the twenty eighth. <sighs> yeah. So. That's all the uh, – go back. Uh, we, we finished up Alan Moore month. Uh, next year in September, we've already decided we're doing Frank Miller month. We'll be kicked off with Long Road to Ruin Robocop. I have not mentioned that to Sean yet, but I will. Um, so yeah, we've that'll got, go uh, well. We're, so we're going to do uh, Frank Miller next year. We've got some stuff lined up for that. Uh, but if you're you know, curious what we thought about the Alan Moore comics and movies, Go ahead and give those four shows a, a look, uh, a listen. And as I said, uh, Metal Hammer of Doom um, comes back next week with uh, Epica, and then Metallica, Hardwired Self Destruct, and then Corn, The Serenity of Suffering. And that takes us into November. Uh, and just uh, another announcement about November uh, Long Road to Ruin will be doing all the Harry Potter movies. Um, November 3rd, November, we're doing two at a time. So we're starting with the first two, November 3rd, next two, November 10th. Uh, we're skipping Thanksgiving week and we're concluding. Um, hang on. You've got two more. Into a no, 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 sorry. Um, the, we've got the next two on November 15th. Then we're skipping Thanksgiving and we are concluding on December 1st with the last, uh, Two movies, which is really one movie broken into two parts. All right, you know I hate the precedent that it set as far as doing that, but it actually needed it. Bothers me that other movies that don't require that particular treatment have done it in the name of cash grabs. But Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows actually needed two movies of that appropriate length. My father's got them all on Blu-ray. He's going to loan them to me so I don't have to spend 100 bucks and buy the series on uh, iTunes. That's nice of him. You know, I could probably I reread them. those if you need another, if you want that perspective. Bear in mind, I could reread them before, like, our Hannibal Lecter series. Knock yourself out. Well, only if you tell me I don't have to watch Underworld. <laughs> no, sir. Come on, head trauma won't get me out of that. No, sir. I will. I, I will. I will go do. Are we get a, a I, serious question? Do we wish to repeat that bit when, for like the rest of the month of January? Because I can. The list of things I would rather do than watch Triple X: The Return of Xander Cage is <laughs> longer and includes much worse things. <laughs> oh, oh, you, sir. You, you think I'm joking? I would rather get a root canal. I have long road to ruins attached to this stuff. It's not changing. Sorry. Okay, I get that you might want to do the, the the Underworld series in concert with that. Okay. I'm okay with that. I understand synergy. I don't like it, but I understand it. You're seriously going to do a long road to ruin on Triple X? Ah, we're just reviewing it because it's a big budget movie. Ugh. It's an evil. 
<laughs> I, there are days when I seriously regret agreeing to do this with you. <laughs> you love it. No, I really don't. <laughs> Look, just be happy I'm not making you review the Lego Ninja Gogo movie. Well, I wouldn't. Just flat out wouldn't. <laughs> there you go. Good conviction. You should have. I should have been. I should have reviewed the Lego Movie with you because I would have been the only guy sane enough to say no. This isn't that good. <laughs> You'd have been wrong. No, I'm. I'm not. I'm really not. Do your plugs. I want to go watch the Flash season two. No, you don't. <laughs> fuck. What the actual fuck? Trust me, you don't want to watch it. You'll regret it. Uh, I'll be the judge of that. All right, just don't say I didn't warn you. All right, as for my plugs, again, tomorrow Mark and I are reviewing Luke Cage. Ought to be somewhat interesting. It will be 90% Mark. I don't have a whole lot. (laughs) Go ahead. uh, That's not, in this case, a negative or a positive. I just don't have a whole lot. I do want to have a very serious discussion with Mark pertaining to the existence of the NYPD as it pertains to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I answered that already. No, but yes, we'll you didn't. A- no, no, no. I did not. Br- I told you we were going to have the discussion. I didn't bring up my points yet. Okay. I said that's that's one of the things I really do wish to talk about as it pertains to Luke Cage. My whole point wasn't, well, there shouldn't be a police force because Iron Man exists. That's that's not my point. <laughs> I, I have okay. like three very valid points as it pertains to that entity, as it's portrayed in specifically the Netflix series of Marvel television shows. Okay. And I get to yell at people for having reduced us to actually living a Catch-22. <laughs> okay. Uh, other than, I, uh, so tune in for that. It should be something. I will also yell about the music because seriously, we don't need a live concert in half the episodes. <laughs> I enjoyed them. I'm not saying I didn't enjoy them. Not my music, but okay. I accept that you know, my musical tastes are mine and mine alone. We don't need one an episode, okay? It got excessive. Okay. Come on. The first two, okay. Maybe the last two, okay. The five in between those, really? (laughs) No, it's relevant to the overall narrative that Cottonmouth stand behind his window and listen to a live performance of Long Live the Chief. (laughs) Would you please get this done with? Uh, This coming Saturday, I will be covering UFC 204. I hate this card. (laughs) No, that's not, like, gimmicked. This is a weak card. I hate that Dan Henderson's fighting for the belt. I don't like the majority of the fights on this card. I don't think it's anywhere it's worth the money that's being charged for it. I hate the fact that the main event represents cash grab over the integrity of the sport. And I hate that I don't like any of the other fights on the card. I have nothing to look forward to as it pertains to this event. Absolutely nothing. 
Okay. But I will be covering it in the MMA Zone of 411mania.com, so stop by and say hello. I appreciate it, and we'll probably need the moral support here. And this coming Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the 411 Ground and Pound Radio Show, we'll be reviewing that mess. Uh, I will either be talking Jeff Harris down off of the proverbial ledge, or he will be celebrating the newly retired Dan Henderson. And we'll also be previewing um, an event that just lost its main event. UFC Fight Night uh, 97 was supposed to be headlined by the return of BJ Penn at Featherweight, where he looks like a corpse, fighting top contender Ricardo Lamas. I was looking forward to that because I don't like BJ Penn. So him getting beat up by Ricardo Lamas kind of appealed to me. BJ Penn, being, you know, 40, got hurt. Uh, they're apparently looking for a new opponent for Ricardo Lamas. But if they don't find one, the main event is now Derek Lewis versus Marcin Tabora. Yeah. It only gets worse from there. So <laughs> listen to that. should be fun. And uh, that's all I've got. Mark and I will be, as we already went over our schedule, we'll be off for a bit. We'll be back for Inferno. I need to read that book first. Uh, Until then, for Mark Radlich, I'm Robert Winfrey, reminding all of you out there to please continue to be well, be safe, and behave.